0: Let us pray in the name of the father and of the son and of the holy spirit amen our father you have called us by your holy spirit to be disciples of your son lord where we have failed encourage us father where we are having success because of your grace Uh, Lord, allow us um, to be kept from pride. Help us, uh, Father, as a church and as individuals to follow your Son evermore in this life. Lord, um, would you show us each the way that you have for us? We pray this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. As I mentioned in the introduction, it's uh, good to be back. It's good to be back in the pulpit. Um, Father Zach received that text that every clergyman fears. It's the Saturday text. that says, I'm sick and you're up. Um, Zach, thank you for that word and for the sermon. I actually want to riff off something he said in his sermon a bit later. Now, as I was uh, sick at the house, battling whatever that was that I was battling and feverish and achy, I found myself sitting um, in a very comfortable recliner that a parishioner gave to me years ago. Um, it was a very, a very much a blessing for me, though I think it contributes sometimes to my laziness because it is so comfortable. But I was sitting um, in the recliner, and as your rector, I feel a bit embarrassed to say I wasn't in prayer in the recliner. I was watching television with a fever, and I was watching a show that I hadn't seen in years and I'm not a big TV guy either, but I'm going I'm to begin with the introduction of this show, and you tell me if you've ever heard of this. It begins with, bad boys, bad boys, what you going to do? What you going to do when they come for you? Now, uh, the show, I didn't know it was still around, uh, Cops, filmed on location with the women, I'm sorry, all right, was watching this television show that I hadn't seen in years, <clears throat> and um i want to commend actually cops uh, to you if you haven't ever seen it to at least watch one episode because what it does is it reminds you of actually the brokenness of humanity and it keeps you um in the reality that there exists oppression in this life and in this world that is really sad really sad people need redemption But as I was watching this show, I found through a couple episodes that there was something that would always happen, and I mean always, between the officers and the criminals. So you would have an officer that would be arresting someone. Now, uh, the fun episodes are when they're chasing on foot someone, and they tackle them, or someone comes around a corner and takes the criminal out, but they restrain them, and then invariably you would have a police officer say something like this, well... John, look, I've picked you up the last, like, I've picked you up three times in the last year. What are you doing? What are you doing? You got to get sober, man. You got to quit doing drugs. You told me, look, you got a three-year-old at the house. You need to be a better father, all right? You need, to, you need to grow up. You need to get a job. I mean, you have all these actually, like, really truthful, though they're generic, truthful statements to this criminal, like, you're, you're hearing the police officer say them to the criminal, and two things at least popped into my mind. The first was that, wow, what, like, what a good cop to say that to them. The second thought was, they're not going <laughs> to listen. They're not going to listen. They're going to get pulled over again for the same stuff. They're going to flee the cops again, maybe a week later, maybe months later. A very sad situation. And then it occurred to me that, um, that there must be a reason why these words of truth, these words of liberation that were offered by the cop to the criminal weren't heard. Riffing off what Zach hit out a little bit last Sunday, the difference in hearing something and listening to something. Why is it that they would hear it but not actually listen to it? And I would actually argue it's this. It's because they've never had anyone in their life who's discipled them Day in, day out, week in, week out, month in, month out. They've only come up against the words of truth, but never the embodiment of the truth in another human being. Now, of course, it's not the cop's job to befriend every criminal and say, well, come with me and let me disciple all the criminals that I arrest. That's not the point of my metaphor here. The point is that it takes more than words, doesn't it? It actually takes something more than the truth. But here's what's amazing. If Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life, then truth is incarnate. It's lived. It's not just believed. Hey, get your life in order. Hey, you've got a child at home. Hey, get off drugs. Hey, quit running from the cops. Truthful, good statements. But when they do not experience it embodied by another human being, there is an inherent disconnect. Would you agree? There's a disconnect. Now, from cops to Karl Marx. Now, I know what you... What did he do this last week while he was sick? (laughs) All right. Every now and then, even atheist philosophers and economists will get something right. Marx wrote this in the last of his theses on Feuerbach, and I don't advise you to read either of them, by the way. But here's his last point on the last of Feuerbach's 12 theses. Marx writes this, and I think it has to do with discipleship in the church and what Jesus was getting at when he called those four initial disciples. He wrote this Philosophers have only interpreted the world differently. The point is, however, to change it. Philosophers have only interpreted the world differently. The point is, however, to change it. Do you see the distinction? philosophers talk about the world in the realms of ideas theologians get caught up in this quite often in the realm of ideas but you see the point is what well, was for Marx unfortunately but it is for Jesus and for the church not just to believe the right things about the world no we begin there the point however is to be changed and to change it by the grace of God that's the point now, before you hear me knocking philosophy or knocking theology, I'm not. Uh, to, to quote uh, someone who's been just very influential uh, in, in my life through books and, and conversations over the years, uh, Dr. George, Dr. Timothy George, is that actual real theology, and this is a paraphrase, real theology is, in fact, beholding God. <laughs> like, that's what real theology is. And when you behold God, you're not left unchanged, right? You're not left unchanged. True theology then, true teaching within the church is for us to enter into a deeper communion with God Himself to be changed. To quote one theologian, he wrote this, the church is not a theological classroom. It's a conversion confession repentance reconciliation forgiveness and sanctification center where flawed people place their faith in jesus christ gather to know and to love him better and learn to love others as he designed that's the church so why would i say all this before we talk about discipleship and our lord I think within our parish locally, within the city that we're in, within the region of the U.S. that we live in, we run the risk of living only in the ideas, only in the truths about our Lord, and not actually ever really following Him. Do you think that that's that's something that can happen? Do you think that you can live, at least theoretically, in the truths of something and not live into them? I think you can. And you ought not as a believer. Again, Father Zach and myself and lay leaders in the parish, we are here to teach you good theology, to get you to think about the world and how it relates to God and your own life and how you relate to the mission of God and his redemption of the cosmos and what station of life you're in and how you're to live into that life. We are here to train you theologically. That is a huge part of what clergy do, of what lay leaders do. But let me tell you this, beloved, it's not just about what you know. It's is that knowledge moving you to obedience? And here's the kicker. Here's the litmus test. Because God doesn't just give us, hey, be obedient with no litmus test. Here's the litmus test. Are we growing in the love of God and the love of our neighbor? That's the litmus test. Are we growing in the love of God and the love of neighbor? That's it. That's the litmus test for us. So what then is a disciple? Well, beloved, if you are a baptized Christian, you're a disciple. You're a disciple by virtue that you've been baptized into Jesus Christ, into his life, death, and resurrection. The question, though, is are we following as a disciple? So what is a disciple? Simply put, a disciple is someone who follows another. In the ancient world, there were two types. There's kind of the Jewish archetype for this, and then there's a the Greco-Roman archetype. The Greco-Roman is one, um, a disciple is one who finds someone who has some very good ideas about the world and reality, and you go, and you sit at their feet, and you follow them around, doing as they do, speaking as they speak. The Jewish understanding is more of this kind of rabbinical, um, you find a rabbi, and you go, and you learn from him. And we see that discipleship for the Christian encompasses both of those, following in the ideas, learning from Jesus himself and the word of God, but then living it out into the world. Passing along the Sea of Galilee, our text says, Jesus saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on a little farther, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were in their boat mending the nets. And immediately he called them. And they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants and followed him. I think the most crucial teaching in this section here for us this morning is that beloved, if we are to follow Jesus as disciples, which by the way is a non-negotiable for Christians, it's going to cost us something. It's gonna cost us something. There is no such thing as discipleship that is painless. Do you agree? There's no such thing as discipleship that is painless. It's going to cost you and me something. It cost these brothers something. Matter of fact, if we look at uh, the sons of thunder, James and John, the sons of Zebedee, they were leaving a, probably a, a business, their father's business, that had probably been around for generations, giving it up to follow our Lord. At, at, at the very base kind of minimum of being a disciple of Jesus, we are called, beloved, to give up our own will to seek His Will. But you see, it's impossible to do that without being in a community of faith. Here's a point I want to make to each of us this morning there are no Lone Ranger disciples. It's impossible. You cannot do it. I've tried. I'll tell you, you cannot do it. Some of you have tried. You would, could stand up and say, you cannot do it. Jesus did not call one disciple, he called 12. They had a community following him around, teaching or learning from him, teaching his teachings to others, seeing how Jesus lived and interacted in the world, you must be incorporated into the life of this church, into the koinonia, the fellowship of this church to have any semblance of discipleship. Why? Because it's the community of faith that allows us to see ourselves our progress the lack of that progress to encourage one another in the faith there are no Lone Ranger disciples I love the fact too that Jesus did not just as some sage philosopher travel around speaking wisdom and then going on by himself doing more of that no he called real men to follow him with their lives and then to go and to make more disciples that's that's the movement That's what we are called to as believers. Discipleship is not optional for the Christian. You cannot say you are a Christian and not try to follow our Lord. Now, again, the community is so, so important for our discipleship. Paul writes in Ephesians 4 this. He says, We are a body here at Christ the King. We're a microcosm, a a small body that's representative of the church at large around the world, that's representative of Christ, who is the head of the church. You see, your faith is intrinsically tangled up in a way with your brothers and your sisters here, intrinsically knit together, that actually their discipleship is dependent on yours and vice versa. We talk in theology of of vicarious faith. What do I mean by that? If you are in a community of Christians and your faith is weak and you are beaten down and your prayer is, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief, you cannot assent to wholeness and to belief by yourself alone. The Holy Spirit and the community of faith are necessary and we run from it so often. We run from from a variety of reasons, and I'll talk about those in a minute. But, beloved, we're called into a community of discipleship in the church. For we are growing each other up into the maturity of Christ who is the head. Our lives are dependent on one another. Now, there are some impediments to discipleship that I think we... um, we all can suffer from from time to time the first is spiritual pride now spiritual pride is an interesting um, uh, vice because it's not worn really out in public as it were spiritual pride is often quiet it's behind the scenes it's that notion look I'm by myself I can do this on my own I've got God in my prayer life, in my Bible. I don't need anyone else telling me or giving me, you know, um, advice on how to live the Christian life. I'm fine. You see, it's that spiritual pride that the devil utilizes to isolate us from other believers, from other Christians who have gifts and offerings to give to you to strengthen your faith, to strengthen your following of our Lord. Um, There was a... A few of us men were able to go on a little uh, retreat several months ago, and it was amazing just sitting around talking with one another, sharpening one another, even if just for a 24-hour period. Discipleship was taking place, and I'll tell you this, most of it was not rector to parishioners, it was mostly parishioners to rector, which was amazing. I get to benefit from that. But beloved, if we do not see ourselves as being bound up with one another in this church, This microcosm of Christ's body here on earth, um, we're going to be, um, I think, not only lonely in the end, but isolated in the end. Do not let your spiritual pride isolate you from other believers. We need humility. Humility says, I need one or two or three people in my life to look at as examples, to follow them as they follow our Lord. You think back to the cop's metaphor, those people needed someone to invest in them and to show them the way as best they could, but of course they didn't have it. I've suffered in times in my life, seasons in my life, of not having anyone ahead of me in the spiritual walk, ahead of me in following our Lord, and I was worse for it, I was worse for it. The second impediment to discipleship, to following Jesus with all of our life, is our disordered loves. We love the wrong things. And half the time we know that we love the wrong things, but we're not living in fellowship and communion with one another, so there is no iron sharpening iron. There's no other believer to say, hey, brother, or hey, sister, I'm noticing this in your life. Or for you to cry out and to say, hey, I love this thing that I shouldn't, I need prayer. I need help. I need guidance. I need discipleship. If we don't have that, we become, again, as I said, isolated. And when we're isolated, we fail. And then guilt sets in. And then the devil just attacks us. I've been there so many times. I'm, I'm guilty of this sin. It's hidden. I don't know what to do. And you just waste away, even though you can be showing up to church every Sunday with a smiley face. Discipleship requires the fellowship, the koinonia of the church. Amen? Amen. Abraham Kuyper wrote this. The greatest gift a church can receive, and by the way, I think we have this to some extent, of course, but the greatest gift a church can receive is to have a group of families who take their responsibilities with such Christian seriousness that they are willing to completely alter their lifestyle to raise up disciples for Jesus Christ. Let me say that again. The greatest gift to a church, the greatest gift that a church can receive is to have a group of families who take their responsibilities with such Christian seriousness that, that they are willing, here it is, to completely alter their lifestyle to raise up disciples for Jesus Christ. We have that to some extent in this parish. What Kuiper is getting at here is this it's not good enough for us to exist as a church in which Sunday morning is the only point of interface with other believers for our discipleship and for our discipling of other people. It just can't work that way. Have you ever known someone in this life that altered their lifestyle for your good? Have you ever known someone like that? That altered their lifestyle, their calendar, their money for your good? When you think about that person or that family, what you experienced from them when push comes to shove at the base level of it all is you experienced love. They gave up from themselves for your good beloved i want to encourage us to continue and to grow into that as a parish we need one another now that doesn't mean that tony d'arrasso can be a disciple for every single man in this in this building that doesn't mean that it doesn't mean that the rector can be the disciple for all the marriages in here that doesn't mean that we need married couples to say, hey, I'm willing to sit with, to meet with, to love on, and to encourage in the faith other married couples, or men with men, women with women. There's, Amy's going to be making an announcement later about this women's mentorship thing. But here's the deal. All of this discipleship, all the programmatic stuff, it doesn't work if our desires are not ordered towards loving God and our neighbor. And I know you all. I know you all. You love God. You love others. Let me encourage you to live into that and to don't grow old because here's the other thing about what doing, be, getting, being sick for a week does. You think about your own mortality and you're like, I've been a rector for seven years. What have I actually done? What's going on? You know, your life's like going out. of. Don't get to the end of your life and realize you have never actually sacrificed for the discipling good of another human being. You can do it. I want to help equip you with that. I would love, I know Father Zach would love to have our email inboxes filled up with people saying, look, I don't know how to do it, I don't know what to do, I don't know, I've got someone who wants me to pray for them, I don't even know how to pray out in public for someone, we want to equip you all to do the work of ministry, that's where, that's what makes this church, I think, so wonderful, and that's what can make our church continue to grow in the mission that we have stated on paper, which is basically to make disciples, calling all people into a transformative relationship with Jesus Christ and his church for the glory of God and the salvation of the world, to equip you to do that in this life. You can do it. Don't let spiritual pride derail you. Don't let your disordered loves derail you. Third, Soren Kierkegaard, Travis Colbin's favorite philosopher, is that correct? Oh, no, Nietzsche's number one. Okay, uh, here we go. We'll forgive you. Kierkegaard's a favorite. Kierkegaard talked about this, and he was writing. Um, he was Danish, so he, he's writing in, in his cultural milieu against the kind of phony Christianity that people um, uh, revile, that people hate to see. Here's what he said. The follower of Jesus aspires with all his strength to be Jesus, the one whom he admires. Kierkegaard goes on to say that there's a difference between a follower and an admirer. Beloved, we have enough admirers of Jesus. You don't even have to be a Christian to be an admirer of him. We need followers of him. We need followers. And I'm gonna tell you this, that God has gifted you all, the people of this parish, with all the giftings that are needed. All the giftings that are needed to disciple one another, to be discipled, to disciple others, to grow in the love of others, to grow as a follower and not as an admirer of Christ. I want you to really think about this 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 morning. Are you simply one who admires Jesus and kind of what he did theoretically for everyone, or are you someone who is trying to follow him? Now, uh, what does that look like in conclusion? Well, let me say this. Here's what following Jesus for most people looks like who are trying to do it devoutly. Waking up at 4 a.m., praying for seven hours, then going out and evangelizing in the street for three hours, and then calling your family and saying, hey, are you guys still around? No, No, that's not what discipleship is. That's not what evangelism is. That's not what being a follower of our Lord is. Finally, this is what it is to be a follower of our Lord. It's to live your life in such a way that you believe, and where you don't believe, you're asking God to help you believe that Jesus is Lord of all of your life. And so as you live your life, you're always asking yourself and you're asking other faithful friends and believers, What what should I be doing here for God's glory? What should it be? That's what it means to be a faithful follower. It's to contextualize your very life in terms of Jesus' life. That, that's what it means, and to help one another do that. Lent is fast approaching. Now, um, one thing I hate about Lent is that a lot of liturgical Christians are like, yeah, this is when we're going like, to be like real good Christians for like, you know, 40 days, and then whew, Easter comes, and we can just relax for the rest of our, you know, calendar year. no. Beloved, uh, Lent is coming and this is going to be an opportunity for you to live into what it means to be a disciple and then finally to disciple others. We've got some programs at this church. We have morning prayer. We have evening prayer. We have women's Bible study. We have fellowship groups. We have Sunday school. We have Sunday morning liturgy. Uh, We have... um, we have all sorts of other programs that are, uh, some of them are gonna be started and all that. I want you to hear again. The programs at this church are only for your benefit, for the ones that you feel God calling you into, for your discipleship. But the thing is, programs don't matter. We can take them, we can leave them. Our prayer needs to be, Lord, change our hearts to love you more so we can follow you. And then in doing so, I promise you will be blessed as you follow him, as you become a disciple, renew your discipleship, and begin to disciple others. All these programs of the church are just given to you for your good, for my good, as we grow together. And here's my final word before I close in prayer. It's this. Jesus comes to his disciples on the Sea of Galilee, and he simply just says, follow me. That's his word to you again this morning. Follow him. Follow him with your life. If you don't know what that looks like, ask me. Ask Zach. Ask an older brother or sister in the faith who's been a Christian longer than I've been alive. Ask them. Take that first step to renewing your following of our Lord. And if you haven't felt like you've done that in a long, long time, let me tell you now, God loves you and forgives you. Let's keep moving on together in our discipleship of one another and of the world. Because finally in the end, brothers and sisters, it's not just what we said that matters. Not just what we quote unquote believed in the sky about X, Y, or Z. It's what we believed and how we lived it out. That's how the world is going to know Jesus Christ and his love for them. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.